All right. If you have a Bible, find um, find First Corinthians chapter twelve. Tonight we're continuing our study in this fall semester on the Holy Spirit in our lives, particularly in what's going to comprise the bulk of this semester. We are not, we're not there yet. We'll be studying through the fruit of the Spirit. It's technically just one fruit. Many, many aspects, I suppose. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit. But we've begun this semester trying to get our bearings a little bit. Um, so that when we get to the fruit of the Spirit, we, we have a better chance of getting all that we can get out of it and understanding it better. So we're doing that by last week talking about who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, more particularly the divine personhood, His deity. Um, and that's, that's good to think about. It's good to think about our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit's not just a force or a wind, but a, a person. And especially when we think about Holy Spirit residing in us. The, person, the very person of God is, is within us. And it's, it's, it's really encouraging. And then next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, tonight... We're going to think through what Scripture means when it talks about baptism with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. That, I, was just sing, I was singing that last song we were singing, and that phrase just, that you keep singing, I'm in awe of you. As I was, as I was trying to prepare this um, tonight, putting all this together, that's an, apt, that's an apt phrase for what I feel about what we're going to talk about tonight. I, I hope you feel it too. Um, the yeah, just the riches of what it means, what the Bible means when it talks. We've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a real thing. <laughs> and by the way, baptism with the Holy Spirit—it may be a thing that you've never thought about before. It may be something you never heard of before. There's also a chance that maybe you've heard it taught in such a way, or described in a way that isn't exactly true or accurate to what the Scripture says, at least how I understand it. How so? One common misunderstanding of baptism with the Holy Spirit, a common misunderstanding, and I will say, no, I'm, this is painting with a very broad brush, Pentecostalish types, charismatic types, well, Pentecostal, charismatic is, is more broad than Pentecostal. Pentecostal, historically, have taught that being baptized with the Holy Spirit is an event that happens to some believers. Okay, catch that word, some, not necessarily all. And it happens sometime later in a, in a Christian's walk in life. That it happens at some, it doesn't necessarily happen the moment they come to faith in Christ. It doesn't necessarily happen as soon as they're born again. It, it comes sometime later. It could be soon, could be a long time, if it ever happens. And, they would say, well, I mean, that, that, so they create this category of you, 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 you could be a believer. And you could have been a believer for a long time and never have been filled with, or not filled, but baptized with the Holy Spirit. That there's a category 
in that misunderstanding for that person. Further misunderstanding often taught by those who understand baptism of the Holy Spirit that way is to teach that when a person does experience it, when a Christian does experience it, it will always be accompanied by some kind of supernatural sign gifts, gift, more particularly speaking in tongues. Okay? That's the, that's the necessary evidence. How do you know what just happened to me? You know, did, was I just baptized in the Holy Spirit? Did you speak in tongues? <laughs> you know? Um, I, I think that these, and I say this humbly, I think these ideas come from a misunderstanding of the book of Acts. And um, as well as in my view of the nature and the purpose of the miraculous sign gifts like speaking in tongues that we see described in Scripture. We believe, we believe, the Scriptures teach that baptism with the Holy Spirit to be um, a precious, it's a precious truth, true of every believer. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I think it's, it's a precious truth that we don't think about enough. So I want to think about it for a few minutes tonight. I hope you come away deeply encouraged by what we see in the Scriptures. To begin, where do we even get this idea that we call baptism with the Holy Spirit? Where does that even come from? Well, I hope you're taking notes. I'm just going, we're going to see a few different Scriptures tonight, kind of like we did last night. Last week, I would, I would invite you again to turn to them. You don't have to turn to these particular right now. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 12. But just here's, where we just, here's where we get it. We didn't just make up the phrase. So it's mentioned a number of times in the Gospels. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. All four Gospels, in fact. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist talking to the crowds who had come to him for baptism, baptism of repentance. He tells the crowds, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, a, a, a mirror passage in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Same incident. Mark shorthands it to this John the Baptist says, I, I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke's version, just for thoroughness sake, Luke 3.16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see it again and again and again. And just to round out all four, John 1.33. I myself did not know him, this is John the Baptist, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So all four Gospels carry this phrase, this idea. One is coming, Messiah is coming. What is unique about this Messiah? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you get past the Gospels, you get to the book of Acts. And you're in the first chapter of Acts. And, and, and Jesus himself, says to his disciples exactly what John had said. He says in Acts 1-5, he basically says, you're about to see what John was talking about. Okay? He says in Acts 1-5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Clearly referring what would happen in the next chapter in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And... Um, 
and when when you think that, when you, if you're familiar with Acts, if you're familiar with Acts chapter two and what happened on Pentecost, that makes more sense why John the Baptist would say he will baptize you with the water, with with the Holy Spirit and fire, because what was what happened on Acts Acts chapter two? Like this miraculous, they did speak in tongues, but like t- flaming tongues came down there, like fire was involved in it. Um, yeah, but then one other one other. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 16, Peter is reflecting on the same event from Pentecost. And he said, Acts eleven sixteen. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So over and over and over again in the Gospels and in Acts, you have this reference to baptism with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you did notice in Acts 1.5 and, and Acts 11.16, those references in Acts, it came with this sign of speaking in tongues. This is, uh, we're going to say a little more about this next week. But let me go ahead and explain why we'll deal with that more next week. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, if, uh, if you're open to um, 1 Corinthians 12, just hold it, hold it. Hold your place right here, and actually turn in your Bible back to Acts chapter one. I want you to just see something with me, um, and then we'll then we'll put that on hold for next week. So Acts chapter one, and verses four and five. This, this is kind of what I read from just a minute ago. Acts chapter one, verses four and five, and while staying with them. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, them being his uh, 11 disciples now. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. To be precise, 40. 40 days from then, it happened at Pentecost. So turn over to Acts chapter 2. What's going to happen in 40 days? You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what he said, you come to Acts chapter 2, and now let's just read verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire. That's what I was talking about. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Jesus said in, John, in Acts 1 that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from then, and when it happens, the text says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Were they baptized or were they filled? Are those the same thing? In this case, in this case, yes and no. <laughs> um, more on that next week. I just wanted to set up the case of what we're going, a little bit of what we're going to talk about next week. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. At the very least, I wanted to show, I, I, I could have just left that alone, but I did want to show you that, not just a preview next week, but I wanted to show you that for this reason. That just shows you you're going to be baptized, you're filled. At the very least, that shows you that when the Bible talks about believers being baptized with the Holy Spirit, that can include within it a number of different biblical ideas, or at least biblical words. 
to describe what's happening. Um, and, 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 they, and, and we need to know those if we want to fully understand the salvation and the life we have in Jesus Christ. Okay? So tonight, I want to take our starting cue from 1 Corinthians 12. So if you still have that place marked, turn back there. When you get there, follow along with me as I read just verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing this church in Corinth about different spiritual gifts. And he says in the middle of this passage, he says, For just as the body, and he's talking about, he's, he's relating the human body to the church body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray. Lord, this, all the scriptures we've read thus far, this scripture we just read, all the scriptures we will read are your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. Lord, we do ask that you would give us eyes to see these most important truths. Would you give us minds to understand them clearly? Give me the help that I need to say it clearly. Give us hearts to embrace these things. Give us wills to obey these things. Give us hearts to rejoice in them. Give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, the reason I wanted to begin with 1 Corinthians 12 in this passage is because of how, contrary to what I opened by saying, this passage, Paul makes it so emphatically clear that if you have repented of your sins and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, then it is true of you that you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul talks about that as a settled reality for every believer without exception in these verses. Look at verse 13 again. For in one spirit we were all baptized. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That's pretty universal. And he's not just talking about the the believers there in, in, in Corinth. He's talking about all believers Jews or Greek, slave or free, all without exception. And we're going we're gonna, to um, look at other passages that flesh out what he means there when he says, in one spirit we were all baptized. But look at that last phrase too. All were made to drink of one spirit. I want you to think carefully with me about this. I mean, some of, this, some of what we're going to talk about is going to take some really careful thought. And I want you to do it with me. <laughs> okay. All were made to drink of one spirit. What does that mean? I think that when we get to the bottom of what that phrase means, it adds further proof that this is a true reality for every believer. I believe that when he says, all were made to drink of one spirit, he perhaps had in mind what Jesus said in John chapter 7. Okay, so if you want to, you can turn there with me And when we look at this. We studied through the Gospel of John last school year. And maybe if you were here, maybe you remember John 7 when Jesus stood up and he spoke at the Feast of Booths. And he's in the middle of the feast and he stands up there. And um, 
It says, let's, let's start in uh, verse 37. Now, keep in mind, what are we trying to get clarity on? All were made to drink of one spirit. Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, the great day, stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, that's what it means to drink, to believe. As the scripture says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now catch this. Now this he said about the Spirit. With whom, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus said, come to me and drink. And then John adds that he said this about the Spirit. So you put those two together and you get this clearer picture about what Paul perhaps mean when he said all were made to drink of one spirit, that that is the same as deeply drinking of Christ. Come to me and drink. And I'm saying it's about the spirit. It's not that Christ is the spirit or the spirit is Christ, but they are two persons of the same God. Right? To, the spirit draws us to Christ. The spirit was sent to glorify Christ. He was spent, sent to glorify Christ to us, in us, through us. And so, we'll say more about this in just a minute. It is because of the Spirit's work in a person's heart that a person even confesses, Jesus is Lord. Je and, 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 and hence, drinking deeply of Christ is simultaneously drinking deeply of the Spirit. You following me? And that is, a, that is another bit of confirmation, in, go back to 1 Corinthians 12 here, that whatever baptism with the Holy Spirit means, it is true of every believer. For the person who has drunk deeply of the Spirit has also drunk deeply of Christ. Everybody. So, what I want to do with the rest of our time tonight, initially I thought it wouldn't take as long as last week, but I'm second-guessing myself. Um, sorry. Uh, I want to highlight three truths. There's so much, so much we could say about this. I want to highlight three truths about the meaning of baptism with the Holy Spirit. And uh, maybe you can jot these down. Here are the three truths. One, being baptized with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit is the ground of your union with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the ground of your union with Christ with Christ. That's point number one. Number two. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit is the ground of your perseverance in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the ground of your perseverance in Christ. So first, He was the ground of your union with Christ. Second, He's the ground of your perseverance in Christ. And third, being baptized with the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is the ground of your assurance in Christ. Your assurance in Christ. And I just want to say a few things about each of those truths for the next few minutes before 
uh, we close our time tonight. So let's start with that first truth, that being baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning every one of you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, means the Holy Spirit is the ground of your union with Christ. I tried to, as I tried to make clear earlier, baptism with the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a broad term uh, for the reality and the, uh, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Okay? That includes within this idea a number of realities that the Holy Spirit, that the Scriptures teach. Okay? So, for example, we already saw in Acts 1-5, Jesus promised that the disciples were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and yet, it, think about it this way. So, what did, what did Jesus say in Acts 1-5? Not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you backed up just a little bit to the end of John's Gospel, so just a few pages before that, near the end of John's Gospel, there is this scene where Jesus is foreshadowing the same event to his disciples. He's foreshadowing Pentecost to his disciples. And in John's telling of it, in John 20, 22, in, in Acts 1, 5, Jesus said, you'll be baptized not many days from now. In John 20, 22, Jesus simply said, receive the Holy Spirit receive him and so right there from jesus himself there are two different words to refer to the same reality uh to be baptized with the holy spirit is an, a one way of of also saying to, is to receive the holy spirit to be baptized is to receive okay which means if we want to know when a person was baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's another way of simply asking, when did a person receive the Holy Spirit? And the biblical answer to that question is, at the moment of conversion, um, from the very inception of your repentance toward your, of your sin and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, at the very moment of that inception. Why do we think it happens at that point and not at some later point? A lot of scriptures. We see, I'll, I won't give you all of them. I'll just give you some, though. John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. John 3, 5 to 8. Jesus is talking to Fer the Pharisee Nicodemus, who I believe eventually did come to faith in Christ by the end of John's gospel. And Jesus is explaining to the Pharisee Nicodemus how it is that a person can enter into the kingdom of God. How, how a person can have eternal life. And what does he tell him? In John 3, 5 to 8, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus plainly teaches there that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in a person, that person will never repent and believe. They just won't. Jesus says that being born of the Spirit is what produces the effects of repenting and believing. 
How do you know that's the point that Jesus is making? How do you know that's the point that Jesus is making, that being born of the Spirit, that happens first, and the effects of that is repenting and believing? How do you know that? Because of the example that Jesus himself gives. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He is saying, just like the wind blowing produces the effect of hearing its sound, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't control where the Spirit goes any more than you can control where the wind blows. The Spirit is sovereign. Spirit works, affects, repenting and believing. When Jesus says there in that verse also that a person must be born of water and the Spirit, I don't think he's talk, talking about natural birth as water and spiritual birth as the Spirit. I don't think he's talking about baptism when he's talking about water, like water baptism. He's talking about the same reality of the Spirit's producing life in us when he says water and the Spirit. Why water? Why would he say, why, you know, why would you put water right there? He's, he's making allusion to the Old Testament, a prophecy about this. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. And there the prophet Ezekiel says, God says through him, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. This is a new covenant promise. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my, my rules. That's Ezekiel prophesying about that coming day when the Holy Spirit would regenerate the hearts of sinners to repent and trust in Christ the Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. That's a big one. John 3, 5 to 8. There's a lot in there. Let me give you a second one, Why though. We see that same kind of language in Titus. Titus. When's the last time you read Titus? Do it. Titus 3, verse 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says very succinctly, He saved us. Why? Why did He save us? Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Okay, so why? According to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not like we in our own strength and in our own goodness repent and believe and then as a reward of that, He then gives us the Holy Spirit. Paul plainly says it's not because of works done by us in righteousness. No, according to the mere mercy of the Lord, He pours His Holy Spirit in our hearts, the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with His Holy Spirit by His mercy toward us, out of which our eyes are open to see Jesus for who He is, see ourselves for who we are, repent of who we are, put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus flatly says in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Or consider 
Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. You often hear this passage read during a baptism. It's not a bad one. It does use the word baptism. But if you look carefully at what Romans 6 says, which baptism is it actually talking about? Think about what we see in the first four verses of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Sounds like a lot of work for water baptism. I don't think that when I was water baptized, I died to my old life because of that water or that I was raised to walk in newness of life by that water. I don't know that it's my water baptism that it's talking about, but there is another baptism that can do that, and it's baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can accomplish those things, dying to my old life, being raised to newness. Maybe just one more passage, Romans 8. Just flip a page or so over. Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, as you, have but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And remember I told you last week? Remember that? Remember the sons? Even girls? You're sons. Not because you're a boy, but because you're an heir. You have the inheritance, just like all the boys. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, neither male nor female, slave nor free. It's not because we're not going to be boys and girls in heaven. It's just everybody gets the inheritance. Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is describing our life in Christ from its very inception. The Holy Spirit is called there the Spirit of Adoption. That's the beginning of our life in Christ. Bringing about our adoption into the family of God through repentance and faith. If this reality of baptism with the Holy Spirit, it, it is this reality, namely, that it is, it is the very ground of our union with Jesus Christ. That is what gives Paul license to say things like he does in verse 9 of Romans 8. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There is no moment, there is not one single solitary moment of a Christian's life when he or she does not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. The Holy Spirit is the very creator of our repentance and faith that unites us to Christ in the first place. To have the Holy Spirit is to have Christ. To have Christ is to have the Holy Spirit. This is true of every believer. So the Holy Spirit is the ground of our union with Christ. But flowing out of this one, being baptized with the Holy Spirit also means the Holy Spirit is the ground of your perseverance in Christ. 
The promise of Scripture again and again and again is that the Holy Spirit is not just the enlivener of our hearts and the creator of our repentance and faith by which we come to Christ. It is also that the Holy Spirit that we have received and with which we've been, with whom we have been baptized, He's a person. He is committed to keeping us and preserving us in the faith until we die. In fact, the New Testament uses three different metaphors. Okay? Think deeply with me. Three different metaphors to, dis- to communicate this truth to us. Here is the first metaphor that is meant to describe to us the fact that the Holy Spirit will keep us persevering. And the first metaphor is this, that the Holy Spirit is described as the first fruits, the first fruits of our salvation. First fruits. It's spelled exactly the way it sounds, first fruits. Where do we see that used? Romans 8.23, you're probably still open to it. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have what? The first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's talking about adoption and redemption in a future sense, in our, when our faith becomes sight. But the Holy Spirit, it says, is given as first fruits. What are first fruits? It's an agricultural term. That means it's the very first pickings of a, of, a, of a fuller harvest yet to come. It's like you planted a crop. This is the first one that produced fruit. I pick it, and that's just a sign to me that there is more coming. Right? And that, the Holy Spirit is given to us like that. We, we receive the Holy Spirit now in our lives and He's there not just to help me repent and believe, but in a, a constant person in me saying, more is coming. More is coming. And you're not going to miss it because I'm in your life. I'm not going to let you fall away. Second metaphor. The Spirit is a pledge or a guarantee. A pledge or a guarantee. That's a, it's like a down payment on a, on a future guarantee. We see that a lot. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has put His seal on us, and has given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? Eternal life. That's 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Just a few chapters later, in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul is talking about heaven. And he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5, He who has prepared us for this, God who has prepared us for this very thing, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, comma, who has given us 
His Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit in us is a guarantee of that eternal future in Christ for us. Likewise, Paul talks about that eternal future in Ephesians 1.14. And he, here's what Paul says about, he says, the promised Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. If that doesn't like, just guys, ooh, read your Bible. That's, that's got to kindle something in you. Seriously. Third metaphor is sealing. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Like a, that's the same, um, it's the same word. You know how the, you know the old-timey way they would seal a letter, like they put the hot wax and they would put their seal on it to seal it? That's the same word to use. It's like that's what the Holy Spirit is on us. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you, heard the, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, we're talking about very beginning here, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You put all this together. I need you to listen real carefully to what I'm about to read to you. It's a little lengthy. Please hang on to my every word. Like, put your thinking cap on and follow me. This is Michael Horton. If you find a book by Michael Horton, buy it, read it. He summarizes all that I've just been trying to say and better than I said it. Jesus had to die not only to bear our guilt, but to put an end to his existence and ours as corruptible flesh. In the power of the Spirit, the risen Christ is not a different person, but a different sort of person than he was before. And not only as a private individual, but as a public representative. By his resurrection and ascension, he has taken our humanity and its history with him into the glory of the age to come. In his own person, he took our unclean and mortal humanity into the grave, ending its existence under the curse. Yet he did not leave the nature that he shares with us in the grave, but raised it to the right hand of the Father on high in a glorified condition. The same Spirit who fashioned the human nature of the Son in the virgin's womb, the same Spirit who drove Jesus out into the wilderness for His temptation, the same Spirit who upheld Him in His distress, same Spirit who empowered Him as the righteousness-fulfilling, wonder-working, Father-revealing servant, 
the same Spirit who also raised Jesus from the dead. This same Spirit now regenerates our hearts by uniting us to Christ and indwelling us as the pledge and the guarantee of our final resurrection. It is the Spirit's active presence in us that keeps our eyes focused neither on Himself nor on His work within us, but on Christ whom he has united, to whom He has united us. And not to Christ in general, but to the Savior who died, was raised, and is seated at the Father's right hand in glory. This Holy Spirit baptism and sealing with the Spirit is an objective reality. One, one may not feel saved. Hear me. One may not feel saved in every moment. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is the pledge that one is saved, feelings notwithstanding. Which makes the third point, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, obvious, is the Holy Spirit is the ground of your assurance in Christ. And I'm wrapping up with this. Because I've already said a lot. I've been talking a while. Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. We still stumble and fall. I stumble and fall accidentally. I stumble and fall intentionally. I'm rotten. But the spirit with whom we have been baptized leads us back to repentance and back to trust in Christ. That's that's the that's the mark of a believer. When, Martin Luther, when he hammered his 95 theses to the church house door, do you know what thesis number one was? Thesis one. When our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said to repent, He meant every day of a believer's life ought to be one of repentance. Every day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We stumble and fall. We are quick to repent. And even when we don't feel saved, we doubt it or we... Man, it's so good. It's so good that the, that the Lord saw fit not to make the only measure of our assurance something within us. That He gave us an objective, unchangeable promise that even when I don't feel like it, my heart lies to me. And I can see it again. I can see the promise. Even when we don't feel saved. The promise of Scripture in Romans 8.27 is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And the will of God, as stated by Jesus Christ, is all who come to me, I will never cast out but raise them up on the last day. Praise the Lord. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let's go. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, 
I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm just going to pray for us tonight. I'm going to ask the, the, the praise band to start making their way up here while I, I pray. But would you join me as we pray? Oh, Lord. Um, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you saw fit in incomprehensible mercy to send your spirit to awaken and enliven the hearts of rebellious sinners and you do it you you do it in so many ways For some, you, you just graciously cause them to be born into a Christian home. And they hear the gospel over and over again. Sometimes you cause people to be born in a home that is not a picture of the gospel at all. But they randomly meet someone who shares them the gospel. Or they watch a YouTube video and they hear the gospel. not, Lord, that we're just neutral. We are rebellious. Each of us has turned our own way. There's no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3.10 And your Holy Spirit awakens us, washes us, makes us alive in Christ and opens our eyes to see Jesus for who He is. Turns our hearts away from ourselves toward Him so that we want to repent. We want to believe. And then Your Holy Spirit stays with us as a pledge, as a seal, as a first fruits of a greater thing to come. Will not let us fall away. Thank you for that assurance. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that promise. Lord, make us ever mindful of your Holy Spirit with us so that we never waver in our assurance and we are always fervent to walk in obedience to please Jesus above all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.